Hello, and welcome to episode 74 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today for our holiday episode is my friend Ian Anderson. Ian, welcome back. How's your holiday season been? Uh, it's been as good as it could be, I guess. Um, you know, it's very different, but as long as we have cookies and stuff, you know, yeah, that's all, that's all I ask for. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Christmas cookies. I'm not going home for Christmas, but my dad got me literally like a 10 pound Danish cookie tin. You know, Mm. those like giant things. This one is like four or five of those stacked on top of each other. It's insane. So I'm set for like the next week at least. (laughs) I can't tell if you're exaggerating that. That'll only take you a week or not. It was it was a bit hyperbolic. I, I think I can get a couple months out of it. <laughs> are you going home at all? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Maddie and I are just chilling here with the cats. Got our Christmas tree and yeah. Nice. Well, happy Christmas to Tito and Julep. Oh, thank you very much. I'll, I'll let them know. Yeah. Relay the message for me. <laughs> I will. This week, we've got just a grab bag of topics. Uh, We were kind of brainstorming about what we wanted to do this week, and you were very flexible when I was just throwing everything at you, so we decided to do all of it. We're going to talk about (laughs) the season two finale of The Mandalorian, some Disney Investors Day news. There was so much of that, but we'll just hit it quickly. Uh, We'll talk holiday movie traditions, and then we will talk about the unique genre of films that I've decided to call fake Christmas movies aka movies that take place during the Christmas time, but really have nothing to do with Christmas whatsoever. I think the most famous example of this, of course, is Die Hard, but we're going to be talking about some more examples, including finishing our discussion with more detailed reviews of two of these films, On Her Majesty's Secret Service and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, I'll also be sure to provide timestamps in the show notes if you want to hop around, but we more than encourage you to listen to it all. Let's go ahead and start with the elephant in the room, the elephant in this case being a tiny green puppet that has won over the hearts of millions, including the hardened, steely heart of Pedro Pascal's stuntman. (laughs) Season two of The Mandalorian premiered its finale last week. Um, holy shit. (laughs) This is your spoiler warning for The Mandalorian season two. If you haven't seen the finale, go watch it and then come back. Ian, I know you had some frustrations with the start of season two due to its more episodic storytelling, but I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about that and then whether the end of the season won you over at all. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that I didn't like the episodic storytelling, but it's like, I I think I jumped the gun on my judgment of that. It was more just that I really wanted to get to like the, what I thought was like the juice of the season, like more about Grogu Um, we knew that Ahsoka was coming and, uh, learning more about like what the different factions of like Mandalorians were like, uh, and like how they became that way. I I really wanted to get all, all of that. And I was worried that we weren't going to get enough of that with all of the, uh, little, um, self-contained stories and episodes, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I should have just waited until the end of the season to make a judgment (laughs) on that because I think they wrapped it up pretty, pretty nicely. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it at like episode three, Mark, and you were like, oh my God, we only have eight episodes. Get it going. Yeah, and exactly. I feel that for sure. I was like, how are we going to do all of this? But I, I definitely should have just waited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think they pulled it off? Like, were you happy with the season? Oh, totally. I, I really like this season. 
I, I loved yeah. the uh, little self-contained stories in the beginning, but it was more just like, I wanted to get to stuff before it was over. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Um, I really liked the episodic aspect of The Mandalorian, and I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that as in like you didn't, because um, I know that I can understand that frustration of wanting the the big thing right away, right? The, the instant yeah. gratification. My favorite part about The Mandalorian is how inconsequential it feels. And I feel like that's such a nice, stress-free environment to absorb Star Wars content. Because I feel Mm -hmm. like with all of the Star Wars movies, especially coming off of Rise of Skywalker, The Last Jedi, all of those movies have to be amazing. And they have to be so many things for so many different people. And I feel like the discourse around those films is so hyperbolic and also toxic and, and really emotionally charged that everything needs to be picked apart. It needs to be analyzed. It needs to... Be like, well, what does this mean for the 50-year legacy of the franchise? All Mm. of this stuff. But I don't really feel like that with The Mandalorian. I feel like it's just a good show with solid action. And we're given like these nice little stories. They are told to us once a week from anywhere from 30 to 50 minutes. You're in, you're out. And then I don't really feel like anything even like universe altering happens. I kind of feel like these characters are just created and... It's just good storytelling that you don't really have to overanalyze too much. So I just really love the story as something that I know will entertain me. And then I never have to think about it again if I don't want to. Yeah. Of course, that is changing a little bit. Do you have any thoughts on the finale and kind of the the bomb that is dropped via a very DH'd Mark Hamill? Yeah. Um, but just to like rewind a little bit, I really like uh, why you like The Mandalorian so much, how like more relaxed and like low key it feels compared compared to the skywalker saga sort of stuff um that is like why i like star wars so much all of the stories that happen outside of the the mainline movies like i i look at the mainline movies as like uh like the breeding ground for the stories that i like (laughs) (laughs) so you're talking like like extended universe clone wars all that stuff yeah, I, I, I think I like the Clone Wars. I like Rebels, like, so much more than the mainline movies. And I like the mainline movies, but I I feel like you get so much more time with characters in TV shows, and I just love that so much more. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm really excited for what they're doing next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about what they're doing next. Like, what are your initial reactions to seeing the Luke Skywalker, seeing... I mean, obviously, there's also the Boba Fett thing at the very end, but I think the big takeaway is the Mandalorian is now the backbone of the Star Wars universe, right? Luke mm-hmm. Skywalker is here. That kind of takes it away from the peripherals of the universe and makes it the yeah. center focus. Does that concern you at all, or what are you? What are your thoughts? It doesn't concern me because I I figured it had to happen at some point. You know, mm-hmm. thinking about what Luke would have been doing at this point in the timeline, like he he would have been looking for somebody like Grogu. So so I I only saw it ending up there at some point. But I hope that this is one of the few times that we see Luke in the Mandalorian or a show like this, um, especially in that CGI sort of way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I, I hope. That we aren't taken back into the the Skywalker saga and Mandalorian becomes like, you know, a background character in his own show. You know, that's not what I want. Yeah, um, I, I like all the little nods, but I, I think that we should stay focused on, on what makes this show so good. 
I completely agree. And I think that the it, the show is actually really well positioned for that because of just the time that it's taking place in, right? Like mm-hmm. we know where Luke goes. So they really can't do anything that crazy on the show. They can't mm-hmm. really break the universe really because we know that Luke has to set up the Jedi temple. I mean, mm-hmm. now presumably Grogu is at the Jedi temple and watches uh, Adam Driver lose his shit. But like <laughs> there's... There's only so much that this show can do because it's kind of wedged between these two mega franchises. And so I yeah. feel like if somebody told me, hey, Luke Skywalker is in The Mandalorian now, I, I might, I feel like I should be like, oh no, that's not good. But I'm just not concerned. I feel like I should be, but I'm not. And I think part of that is because The Mandalorian at least took its time. Like I think mm-hmm. if Luke had showed up in the second episode of The Mandalorian season one, I would have been like, yeah, not not for me. But They've done enough building of this world so that they can have episodes where freaking Bill Burr comes back. And I actually care about that. <laughs> and so now this is almost kind of just like another treat for us. It's it's not like the main appetizer, right? Or yeah. the main course. Yeah. The only thing I, I think I would want to see Luke in again is like maybe in the Ahsoka show. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it would be really cool to see an interaction between the two of them. Just because Ahsoka cared so much for Anakin in the Clone Wars and stuff like that, like just so they could connect about like when he died, he died as Anakin, not Darth Vader. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I think she should know that. And as far as we know, she doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think happens at like the start of season three? Do you think there's going to be a big time jump between season three and Grogu's going to basically come back right away? Or do you think the season three is going to kind of be Grogu less? Because I feel like. Certainly one half of my viewing audience, that half being Dana, probably would be really upset by not having Baby Yoda in The Mandalorian. Yeah. So what do you think? Um, that's a good question. I, I do think, um, was it episode seven of the season that had like, it was like no Gro- Grogu? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yep. And I think that episode like up until the last episode was um, was probably my favorite of the season. Uh, and I think that sort of shows that the show can stand on its own without Grogu. I'm hoping that this show has like won over enough people by now <laughs> that they don't just see it as the Baby Yoda show anymore. Um, but yet to be determined, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the people that are actually watching it are interested in it in more than just the Baby Yoda show. But I definitely think that is like a cultural touchstone. It is mm-hmm. just the Baby Yoda show, right? Like, yeah, I feel like you ask the average person who Baby Yoda is and they know, but they don't know that Pedro Pascal is in a Marvel TV show. I mm-hmm. mean, a Star Wars Star TV Wars, yeah. show. And to be fair, is he really? He's been <laughs> in it at least three times now. Like, right. We know for a yeah. fact that he's been on set at least three times. I, I think that Grogu will definitely be back. There's no way that season three happens with no Grogu. But I do think that they can't just bring him back right away because then it has to make sense. Well, and, and, it, and it, it would be it has I to think be it's earned. pretty hard. Yeah. And I think it's pretty hard, at least what we know about where he's going to bring him back super soon. Yeah. Well, and also just from an emotional standpoint, like in order for it to not feel like they're completely undercutting the departure uh, oh, in, yeah. the, in the finale. Like, I mean, it's a big deal that he takes off his helmet and mm-hmm. he says, you know, I basically he says, I love you or whatever. And then he expects that they're not going to see each other for a long time. So if we just see him in episode two, or at least if we see them reunited, then that feels really lame. 
So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the the show, you know, toes that line well, but I definitely do want to see Grogu back at least at some point in season three. Yeah, I, I agree. Oh, also, while well, I, I just thought of it uh, this morning, did you notice um, it seemed like R2 like recognized Grogu? I did not pick up on that, but I can see what you mean by that. Like when R2 came in, he started like hopping around. Yeah. A little bit. And that makes me like feel like he must have like recognized Grogu from the Jedi Temple. And I was like, oh my God, he thought that he was killed by Anakin. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe Yoda. I mean, maybe, you know, R2-D2 just thought it was Yoda or something. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe R2 is really bad at at height perception. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, That's a good point. (laughs) um, But the Mandalorian post-credits scene, there was one, and it ends Mm. with what appears to be yet another Star Wars show. This one is going to be called The Book of Boba Fett. Um, Presumably stars Boba Fett. I feel like it would be ridiculous if it did. (laughs) Um, But then also Ming-Nai Wen's Fennec. Um, What did you think about that? That kind of announcement just randomly at the end. It was like, oh, by the way. I was a bit confused by it. So has it been confirmed to be a new show? You know, that would have been a great thing to look up. I genuinely have um, no idea. Because I got the feeling that was like the title of season three. Oh, see. I, I don't know, though. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, don't, maybe. <laughs> I guess, have no idea. <laughs> it, but it, it did say something like comes 2021, right? Or something yeah. like that. Like December and, 21st, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like that just feels... Like it's too hard set of a, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is. I assumed it was another TV show, um, but you know what? Maybe it is just season three. Yeah. I, I yeah, don't know. I have That's no interesting. <laughs> I'll have to look that up later. <laughs> Who knows? But this does, this announcement does come immediately after the announcement of literally dozens of new television shows and films during Disney in uh, Disney's investors day. And mm-hmm. all of those television shows, they come from, Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar, Walt Disney Studios, all of these things. Um, And I feel like we could talk about this content for hours. There is just so much goddamn information here. And I can also confidently say that I will probably watch like 90% of it. (laughs) So I'm set for the next three or four years. Um, I know we were talking about this a lot when it was being announced live. There were several moments where we were like, this is still going. Holy shit, I can't believe there's another (laughs) one of these. But let's talk about it just generally first. Um, what are your thoughts on all of these announcements? I mean, obviously you're excited. I know that, but let's really try and dissect what this means for Disney going forward. And then what this means for the future of movies and television. Oh yeah. When we got to the national geographic segment, my, my heart rate went through the roof. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So excited. Yeah. That Uh, was when I went and got a drink and wasn't just like hovering (laughs) at my phone. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm sure there's really great stuff on National Geographic. I just won't be watching it. I don't. <laughs> You're not going to watch the uh, Will Smith show and the Chris Hemsworth show? They have shows on National Geographic? I mean, I they're... completely missed the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like Disney Plus originals of via National Geographic of like Will Smith going around the world and Chris Hemsworth presumably also going around the world doing huh. things. Okay. Well, you know, maybe I'll watch that. They got Okay. Me. I won't. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for it, especially obviously for the Marvel and the, the Star Wars stuff. I I think that can only be good with the direction that it looks like they've been heading with their content. I I'm, I'm really excited for it. Yeah. So, but do you think, I mean, I guess I want to know what your overall thoughts are on kind of the shift away from movies and more to television shows 
and sort of just the mass announcement of this, right? Like they they really yeah. didn't hold anything back except for maybe the book of Boba Fett. I don't know. Yeah, um, it's tough to say with Star Wars because I I don't know anything about like the next movies or anything like that. But what I do know, like with Marvel, I'm really excited for that because they seem to be more character based shows. We're we're gonna get to know things that uh you know, we wanted to know more of in movies, but don't have time in the movies for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm hoping that that shift sort of stays permanent, semi-permanent. Like, I would love if it stays, like, character-focused in the TV shows and then big events for the movies. I think that would be really fun. It might be hard for some people to follow across those mediums, but um, that that's my main worry, I guess, about it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Like, people like my parents, like, do they have to follow all of the Marvel shows that are coming to make sense of the movies that they want to see? I mean, I feel like Marvel always kind of makes these overpromise, kind of undersell things where they say, you know, WandaVision is going to be directly tied into Doctor Strange 2. Yeah. Doctor Strange 2 is going to be a hard horror movie. Um, you know, we, we were told Ant-Man is going to be a heist film and like... Yeah, there's a heist element, but it's not really a heist film. And I think this is one of those examples of it's like, I think we will appreciate watching WandaVision and then knowing that some of the events in that are tied into Doctor Strange 2. But I'm Mm -hmm. pretty positive that they will make it so that Doctor Strange 2 is completely understandable, regardless of whether you've seen WandaVision or not. Yeah, I hope so. But um, it does really seem like they're tying in like pretty directly with with yeah. the stuff. Like they're introducing characters in these shows that look like they're going to be pretty main characters. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think just in terms of like, you know, how WandaVision is probably going to set up the multiverse and then that will mm-hmm. obviously tie into whatever the hell Spider-Man 3 is now. But I, but I do think that if somebody just wants to watch Spider-Man 3, they'll be like, oh, there's a multiverse. Okay. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they don't need to know exactly how it happened in order to understand that now there's multiple Spider-Men. So, like, I just think it's one of those things that almost, like, expanded lore in Star Wars is valuable to people who really want it. But you can also watch any of the Star Wars movies, and they're relatively self-contained. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I hope that it's like that. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's just knows? my we'll main see. worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess my one worry, which, you know, this is a little bit of um, just worrying for worrying's sake. I mean, I think Disney knows what they're doing quite a bit. To me, it seems like Disney is flooding the streaming market in the same way that they flooded the blockbuster market. Um, mm. It obviously worked with blockbusters. I know many people were like, oh, you can't have four superhero movies a year and there's going to be superhero fatigue, and that at least so far has not happened. And so I don't really see why that would happen in the streaming universe. What I do think will be interesting to track is how popular these shows are, especially compared to The Mandalorian, because it's very Mm. clear that Disney is really, really happy with The Mandalorian. And I think a lot of the bump that Mandalorian got was from the fact that there was virtually no blockbusters this year. So a lot of people, especially in season two of The Mandalorian, kind of made that their blockbuster viewing. And I think it works really well as that because it feels like a movie, but it's given directly to you. And so I'm just interested to see if they can do that 30 more times because that's sort of what it seems like they're doing. They're (laughs) saying we're going to have a um, Obi-Wan show. And obviously that's going to be a hit because Obi-Wan is a big character. 
WandaVision is going to be the first thing from the MCU that we see in over a year. So everyone's going to watch that, especially because it's in January when nothing is happening anyways. But I'm really interested to see how the things like She-Hulk, Iron Wars, Ironheart, all of those ones that sort of seem like they're coming three or four years down the line, like are those things going to be as talked about as the Mandalorian, as WandaVision? And if they aren't, then what is the result of that, right? Like, are they putting so many of these things in? Like, it, it makes sense when you just have the Mandalorian to spend millions and millions of dollars on it and make it feel like a cinematic experience because there's only one of them. But if mm-hmm. you're now doing 30 of them, how worth it from like a financial aspect is it to actually f- make those feel like movies? So I guess that's the one thing I'm worried about. I really just want the quality to stay consistent. Yeah, it it also, I think, depends on how they're planning on doing these shows. Like, are they going to be a a single season each? Yeah, Um, I don't know. Loki has already been renewed for a second season. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, I I saw that they're starting shooting in early 2021 for the second season. And I don't know if that's the kind of thing that they're going to be doing with all of their shows. Or, like, I could see Armor Wars being, like, a single season. Yeah, I can't imagine um, that going on for like multiple seasons. I really hope it doesn't because I can only handle so much <laughs> of like Tony's stuff being stolen and used against people in metal suits over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I would prefer that these would be miniseries, like essentially what you're saying, yeah. movies, but more time for character development. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to see a recurring thing of Captain what Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like... I want to just see one really well-told story and then have those Mm -hmm. characters appear in other things. Like, same with Iron Wars and Ironheart. Like, why can't that be season one and season two of the Iron Man TV show, you know? Yeah. I don't don't know. I I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, all that being said, I'm basically incredibly excited about almost every single thing that (laughs) has been announced. I think the ceiling is really high for a lot of these things. And I don't think that the ceiling, I mean, the floor is that low. Even if it's only mediocre, it's still probably going to be pretty entertaining and I'm probably going to watch it. So I'm very optimistic. I'm really looking forward to consuming literally everything. They have a direct IV line into my bank account. (laughs) But in in the interest of time, why don't we just go and pick three properties each that we're most excited about? And um, I want you to tell me why. Um, And I also said for you, let's let's not make them all Marvel. Give me a a slight smorgasbord. All right. I wasn't going to make them all Marvel. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> there's actually a few star wars shows i'm really excited for um yeah but i'm gonna start with uh i think she hulk has the potential to be really cool i'm not i can't remember exactly what they said about the show did they mention it being a comedy at all uh no i have no idea because the she hulk comics were like very uh comedic they she was the one who stored sort of like started in the marley universe like of breaking the fourth wall Oh, really? Um, And I I sort of wonder if that might be like a sort of testing of like Deadpool kind of stuff they might do in the future. (laughs) And and it's a lot of just like fun stuff with her interacting with a ton of different heroes because she's a lawyer and she defends uh, or she she, uh, participates in cases with superhumans. And that's always really fun to watch, Um, especially when she's in a court filled with like normal looking people and she's a (laughs) giant green thing (laughs) yeah she's like permanently Um, she hulk right yeah because she can she can control it she's pretty much um professor hulk kind of thing i'm really excited for that yeah she hulk is also one of the three that i picked 
for similar reasons. I think we've talked about this before in our like one year retrospective of Endgame, how one of our biggest problems with Endgame and sort of the Infinity Saga as a whole is that it has stripped us of a full Hulk arc. Mm -hmm. I think Hulk is a really fascinating character and they never really get to do that much with him in the MCU. Um, Mm -hmm. He's a great supporting character, but we don't get to spend a lot of time with Bruce Banner, at least not since the Incredible Hulk. And I feel like the MCU largely has completely ignored the Incredible Hulk. Until today, (laughs) baby, Tim Roth is the Abomination and he is back in She-Hulk. I freaking love the Abomination. That's so cool. That movie is very average, but there are some parts of it that I really, really love. And the Abomination is back. I'm very excited to get to see how Mark Ruffalo plays into all of this. It's been announced that he is in this show. And I really hope that he isn't Professor Hulk the whole time, because as you're saying, that's probably what the Jennifer Walters character is. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that through this show, we also just get to explore the Hulk family, the Hulk dynamic. I hope Mark Ruffalo gets to do more character acting. Like, I just think that there's a lot of promise for this show. I think it could be Mm -hmm. incredibly mediocre, but (laughs) I'm really hopeful that it's not. Totally. I I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Roth, the abomination. God, I love that thing. He's so scary. Yeah, he's that. I that's a character I thought we were never going to see again, and I'm so happy that we are. <laughs> the part in that movie when Tim Roth is like doing the Captain America run after he's gotten the Super Soldier Serum to oh, like go yeah. attack Incredible Hulk, and then Incredible Hulk just kicks him into a tree. Mm-hmm. That is one of my favorite parts of that movie. I think it's so sick. But yeah. um, all right, She Hulk. Fingers crossed on that one. Who knows? The, the <laughs> other thing is that. This could come out in like four years. We have no idea when this time frame is, but um, really optimistic about this one. What's uh, what's another one that you're interested in? Yeah, so this is my last Marvel one. I just had to mention it though because it's one of my favorite stories in like all of comics. Is a uh, uh, Secret Invasion? Yeah, I am so excited for that. That was like um, I'm not sure if you ever watched the cartoon Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Can't say I did on Disney. Um, it was on when we were younger. And they did a secret invasion storyline, and that was, like, the first, like, intense storyline for Marvel that I got into, and it is so cool. Like, that's what I thought Captain Marvel was going to be, scrolls invading and, like, taking the place of heroes and stuff. And I'm just so excited to see what they're going to do with that, because there's so many possibilities with the scrolls. Yeah, completely agree. That one looks dope. Um, And then for my third, I'm really excited for the Acolyte. Uh, the Star Wars show. Yeah, you took my other one, too. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, we're both really <laughs> excited for it. Um, no, only I, I can be excited for it. I think it's going to... I think it can be so good. And it's the first... Uh, or I guess other shows are taking place during the High Republic era, right? Yeah, can you tell me what the High Republic era is? So, the High Republic was pretty much just like a time of peace in the galaxy. It was when the, the, like, the Jedi were at like their height. Um, when they weren't like soldiers or anything, they would just like go around and like get to know people, help people with like day to day tasks. Um, and this was like when Yoda was like at his most powerful. This is like two hundred years, I think, before uh the Skywalker saga. Okay. Um, and he was at his like height there, so it might be cool to see him in that. And so I'm really excited to see the acolyte because this is supposedly when the Sith were at like their lowest. Um, so I'm excited to see how they explore that in like a Jedi dominated galaxy. 
Yeah, I'm just excited because, I mean, well, first, number one, it's a female-directed Star Wars property, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, very but cool. also, um, I guess we should say it's going to be showrunned and directed, presumably, and written, presumably, by Leslie Headland. I mean, we don't know a lot about this show, and I'm sure it's many years away, but I'm just excited to explore a mystical part of the Star Wars universe that isn't mm. just this Skywalker Jedi stuff. Yeah. I'm so um, done with them. <laughs> yeah. So done with them. I mean, this is probably the closest thing that we'll ever get to like a brand new sci-fi property at mm -hmm. this level, like with such a well-established and reliable universe, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. so I, I don't know. Uh, that's, that was a bit of an oxymoron to have something like new, but also in a well-established universe. But I think that- No, I know, I know what you mean. This, yeah. But we haven't had Star Wars like this pretty much. I mean, we've, we've had Rogue One, but that was still so heavily tied. Yeah. And exactly. the universe. Um, I, I'm really excited for it. Yeah. Well, well, and I just think that it could have a completely different tone. Like it seems, I mean, it's calling itself a mystery thriller and it says shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers. So I'm excited to see like things that happen in the Star Wars universe that mm -hmm. don't have to explain, you know, why Palpatine came back or whatever, you know? So it's just That reminds exciting. me. Yeah, I think this is actually when Darth Plagueis is around, ar around then. Um, the Darth the Plagueis master from of, the tragedy of yeah. Dark Plagueis the Wise? Yeah, the master of Palpatine. I think he's like a student at this point or something. Remember when people thought that Snoke was Dark Plagueis? <laughs> <laughs> Remember when people thought that Snoke would be in the finale of the trilogy? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Technically he was, he was in a tube. Oh, a couple right. of them. That's yeah. enough. That's enough out of you. <laughs> okay, cool. So yeah, the accolade I think is the main Star Wars property that I'm really excited for. Obviously, yeah, I'll watch the crap out of Ewan McGregor and <laughs> Hayden Christensen doing whatever they do. But like, <laughs> you know, it, it is just exciting to get something that feels brand new. Yeah. Um, I mean, you stole my one or two of my properties, but the other one that Sorry. I walk, that I just have to talk about is the Pixar film that is coming into theaters called Turning Red. Was this the big red panda the yes. thing? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know much about it. Um, it's directed by Domi Shi, who directed the short film Bao, which was the um, animated short about the woman who has the little Bao dumpling. Um, it aired before The Incredibles 2. I don't know if you remember, but it completely yeah. decimated Johnny I, before I Incredibles 2. <laughs> like, he was just a fucking mess like three minutes into it. But... Um, <laughs> Outside of it being really awesome that a woman of color is directing a Pixar film because Pixar is still very much a white boys club, um, I think the premise sounds like it was basically made exactly for me. It was, <laughs> Ian alluded to it, but the, the premise is that it follows Mei Lee, a teenager going through the chaos of adolescence. She's just like any other teenager, except when she gets too excited, she turns into a giant red panda. This is Red Panda's meets the incredible hulk i am there day one i am there thursday night this seems so insane that i just know it's going to work i feel like the last time that pixar addressed teenage adolescence was in inside out and that is one of the best movies ever made so i really see no downside to saying well let's just throw red pandas in it so i'm super excited <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you got me excited for that. I, I was indifferent to it, but <laughs> I, I'm in now. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is that it's also just great that despite them also doing the Doug miniseries and the 
Cars Road Trip Across America, which just sounds like Cars 4, they're still making space for new properties. So mm-hmm. that's exciting too, right? That it's not just, oh, Zootopia 2 and Finding Nemo 3. It's it's also that they're still making some new stuff. I, I think that's exciting. Yeah, I agree. And if it has like half the heart that Bao had, then it'll be it'll be solid. Yeah, I really hope that there's a scene where the mom eats her child. You want a red panda to eat a, a baby red panda? Yeah, to keep in line with the, the Bao film. Is that considered like an Easter egg? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm no. going to cut that. Okay. That was a terrible discussion, the whole thing. <laughs> um, we could keep this going probably forever, but let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we return, we'll talk about some holiday movie traditions and then our conversation on fake Christmas movies. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. All right, we are back and talking about holiday movies. Christmas is right around the corner, Ian. Um, Even though in a lot of ways it doesn't feel like it, it is the holiday season. Mm -hmm. Um, I said normally I would be going home back to Arizona to be with my family. Not only would it be warm, but I am definitely going to miss um, being with my family and even doubly so now that we had a massive snowstorm. I just am really feeling homesick about Arizona. My family doesn't really have a lot of holiday traditions, but the one thing that I'm really going to miss this year is going to the movies with my family around the holidays. I feel like December is usually a great time of year for movies. Um, Mm -hmm. We usually go on Christmas Day. I think last year, my brother and I saw Little Women with my mom. And a few days before that, like the day that I came and uh, flew back in, me and my brother and my dad saw Rise of Skywalker. So two very different movies in terms of content and quality, but I really will miss just getting to experience that with them this year. Ian, I wanted to take this time to ask you if you have any holiday movie traditions, whether it's actually going to the theaters to experience movies with your family or watching like Christmas classics at home. Yeah, um, Christmas classics at home. The only one we really watched was uh, Christmas Vacation, but we watched that every single year. (laughs) (laughs) So I I pretty much have every line memorized. We we all have T-shirts and stuff. And uh, beyond that, I had my like my own little holiday movie traditions. Um, just like when I'm on my own during the holidays, I would watch like just movie marathons that were on. Yeah, like what? Like like Harry Potter. Those would always be on in the the holidays. Uh, Star Wars. They would have marathons for that. And uh, like we're gonna talk about later, there were James Bond uh, movies on all the time, especially at my grandma's. She was Scottish, and that that's a tradition in, like, <laughs> Scotland and Britain is just, like, James Bond movies. Really? 
Yeah. I did like not James know that. Bond movies celebrating the queen. <laughs> we would yeah. just watch the royal wedding, like all three of them, over and over on repeat every Christmas. <laughs> Is that what you do? No, but it's like a like listening to her like speech for Christmas. Oh wow, really? So you've listened to? Oh no, not not me personally, but the, like I I know oh, that's okay. a part of their traditions. Got it. Got it. Christmas movies, they're a huge part of the holiday season. Um, you know, Netflix has made a whole catalog of Christmas movies of wildly varying quality. I've watched a bunch of them this last month, and oh boy, um, there's tons of classic Christmas movies from my childhood. You know, I think Elf, um, The Santa Claus, spelled C-L-A-U-S-E, uh, and Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Those are kind of the three that come to mind that I remember watching a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, And a lot of these movies, they can only take place during Christmas, right? Like the Santa Claus only works because Tim Allen accidentally murders Santa on Christmas Eve when he makes him fall off his roof. That has well, to take place during Christmas Eve. Let's be honest. Tim Allen would have found a way to kill Santa Claus <laughs> any time of day. <laughs> Any time of the year. Yeah, he's just like an <laughs> Arctic explorer and just waltzes in and just murders Santa. Yeah, this was just Mid-July. an easy excuse. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of other Christmas films, quote unquote Christmas films, that take place during Christmas for virtually no reason. And mm. the presence of Christmas is pretty much inconsequential to the plot. But because they do take place during Christmas, they are technically Christmas movies, which is why we can talk about The Christmas Prince and Die Hard as contemporary equals. Films like Die Hard are what I'm just personally calling fake Christmas movies. Ian, other than Die Hard, what's the first film that comes to mind when I mention the concept of a fake Christmas movie? I feel like every time Iron Man 3 comes to mind, yeah. like I thought that was on the level of, Di- in, my, in my weird head, that's on the level of Die Hard, <laughs> of like <laughs> not, not Christmas movies. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that one does come to mind. And I mean, that one's especially damning because it just came out in May. It yeah. just was a Christmas movie that came out in May and made a billion dollars. So like didn't we were Die all just Hard do there. that to, Like Die Hard didn't come out during Christmas, did it? Uh, I feel like, oh, you're right. Yeah, Die Hard did. It was released on July 15th, 1988. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you're right. Yeah. Um, I included a link into our little show notes here that kind of has a list of a bunch of Christmas movies that aren't technically Christmas movies. I'll just list a couple of them here. There's You've Got Mail. I've seen that. Never really considered that a Christmas movie, but I guess technically it takes place during Christmas. Um, Iron Man 3 is on this list. L.A. Confidential. I haven't seen it, but that takes place in an L.A. Christmas. Die Hard's on the list. Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Mm. Edward Scissorhands. Never seen it, but it's a Christmas movie, apparently. Really? Uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which we'll talk about. This says Babe. I don't really remember. What? That there's Christmas in Babe, but I guess there Maybe is. there is, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Batman Returns takes place during Christmas. Yeah, that was on my list. Yeah. Little Women takes place during Christmas. The Sound of Music has Christmas. The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. I guess that has some Christmas feels to it. Mm-hmm. Eyes Wide Shut, the Stanley Kubrick film. And then Rocky Four is also another one that takes place during Christmas. So before this episode, we each picked one of these fake Christmas films for both of us to watch so that we could review them on the podcast. And Ian, I know you were torn between a few different options. You were texting me back and forth, not sure which one you wanted to pick, but eventually Mm -hmm. you landed on the James Bond classic, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. 
This film yeah. was released <laughs> on December 18th, 1969, so it is close to Christmas. It is the sixth Bond film, and it's the first to not feature Sean Connery. Instead, James Bond is played by George Lazenby in his first and only outing. So, Ian, why don't you start by just telling me why you picked this film? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I mentioned it a bit earlier. James Bond movies are just on like TV like channels all the time, I feel like, in Christmas time. Um, and they would be something that I just like would put on TV in the background a lot, especially these older ones. You can't really do it as well with the Daniel Craig uh, James Bond movies. I'm sure you can understand after watching this. Um, these older Bond movies are so uh, corny. I don't want to insult the films. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're sort of corny. They're uh, like irreverent uh, silliness in the same vein as like like the, the classic uh, – a Batman movie mm -hmm. um, from the sixties. And I, I just think they're really fun. And I really had to choose one out of so many. So I just chose the one that like takes place during Christmas. I think it's the only one out of them. It's not my favorite, but it, it takes place <laughs> during Christmas. So, I <laughs> so technically it counts. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is the first non Craig James Bond movie that I've seen from start to finish. Yeah. It's a different experience, isn't it? It very much is. Um, I mean, you know, I've always known that the Daniel Craig run is very different from the rest of the films and that it's mm -hmm. more self-serious and it strays away from the campiness. And I think there are actually people that don't like the Daniel Craig films for that reason. But it was, um, I don't know, it was, it was really eye-opening to experience James Bond like this. I think, like you're saying, the film is really corny, it's cheesy, it's goofy, and a lot of that isn't just because of how, in general, 60s films age. There's some stuff that's really, really silly. I think one yeah. of the staples <laughs> of the fake Christmas movie is referencing Christmas in a way that's completely out of the blue. And in this movie, there's like a part where James Bond knocks out a guard and then says, Merry Christmas, as he's like tying him up. And then he says, maybe I should have wrapped you or something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I have the lines written down here. Um, <laughs> oh, please, please share. <laughs> maybe you should have been gift gift wrapped is the uh, the one you're thinking of. <laughs> uh, then there's Merry Christmas 007 from the jolly uh, Mr. Blofeld, the villain. <laughs> um, and I'm going to send the UN my Yuletide greetings is my uh, my personal favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're they're absolutely silly. Um, but I think that I really enjoyed myself watching this movie. I was kind of preparing myself to really not enjoy this at all, but I found it fun. I mean, it was just an enjoyable way yeah, to watch two plus hours. Yeah. Um, there were actually a few reasons why I, I thought this was a good, like, non-Christmas Christmassy movie. Um, I compared a lot, like, thinking about which one I was going to choose. I was comparing them to, like, It's a Wonderful Life, if you've seen that. I actually haven't. It's a huge blind spot, but I'm aware of the concept. It's it's considered a Christmas movie, but you don't really get Christmas until like the very end of a movie. Mm -hmm. But somehow it's a Christmas classic. So I was trying to compare things to that. And On Her Majesty's Secret Service takes place during Christmas for a whole lot longer than that does. So I think it's <laughs> arguably a, more, more of, of a, a Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, and it has all of those hilarious lines I just mentioned. Um <laughs> And tons of snow has the Winter Olympics, you know. Yeah. Okay. Question. So, are the Winter Olympics taking place 
in Switzerland, like in the middle of this movie? I have no idea. <laughs> is this a marketing scheme thought, for the Winter Olympics? Because I think it was they like a training camp. Yeah, I don't know, man. They play, they do bobsledding in like the climax of the movie, but they also ski, they figure skate, and they even curl. So I feel like this film was made to like sell tickets to the Winter Olympics. <laughs> Maybe it was. Um, and that, that brings up another, another thing uh, of why I chose this. I wanted to think about if the movie I was choosing could take place at any part of the year, yeah. if, it would, if it would still make sense. And I don't think this one would. I, I think that because the, the main villain, Blofeld, his villainous plot is to spread this virus around the world. Very topical, by the way, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow use that to take control of the economy. It was really vague, but it, it's evil and villainous, so James Bond has to stop him. Right. But the way he does this is by using um, these women who are traveling uh, to smuggle the virus, but they're traveling specifically for Christmas break. So that couldn't oh. have happened. Any, you know, you can't have Christmas break in the middle of spring, you know? Tell that to Australia. All right. It's not a very <laughs> inclusive comment there, Ian. Yeah, no, I, I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. You know, customs agents don't think twice about it in, in Christmas time. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they didn't think twice about anything back then. But. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you could just be like, oh, I don't know, whatever. I'm taking this giant box. I, I'm of... taking this virus on the plane. You guys cool with that? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a really good point. I didn't even think of that. Uh, the plot is, is absolutely insane in this movie, but that's well, a great point that it actually so does yours, use Christmas. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I, I yeah, we'll get there. Um <laughs> couple other things I, I thought were interesting about this movie choice. Um, this movie stars Diana Rigg as James Bond's Bond girl. And yeah. Diana Rigg passed away earlier this year, like very recently, I believe in September. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty surreal to see her so young on screen. I don't know if I've seen her in things other than Game of Thrones. So it was really cool. Um, but then the other, of course, topical thing that I already mentioned is that there is a bacteriological warfare plot here, which feels very relevant right now. There were a couple other lines that I wanted to shout out that I really, really liked in this movie. Um, oh, great. Kind of George Lazenby's very first line, this never happened to the other guy. I thought yeah, was great. Yeah, I paused it for a second there because I was like, I don't think he's ever done that before. <laughs> like, I don't think James Bond that- has ever referenced another James Bond before. I could be wrong about that, but... Yeah, well, so... When I watched this for the first time, I was completely unaware that this was the first time that somebody other than Sean Connery had played the role. Yeah. So I was like, that's kind of weird. Um, but then, of course, I looked it up and I was like, that's that's clever. That's that's funny. I, I liked that. That whole scene is absurd, though. Men love writing about women who commit suicide oh my via God. bodies yeah, of water. That was so weird. That was such a weird scene. Yeah. I mean, that's like a very common thing. Like it happens in Vertigo and like the man always saves the woman by jumping into the water and stuff. I will say it's no secret that the James Bond films do not treat women particularly well. What? Um, (laughs) I think think in some ways that the Diana Rigg character is actually relatively compelling. But then in other ways, there's a couple things in this movie that are just like, are, are you, you're kidding me, right? This is an SNL parody. Like Blofeld's Angels of Death are a parody of male gaze and like wish fulfillment. George Lazenby 
has sex with two of the agents of death on the same night while also theoretically being in love with the Diana Reg character and also kind of being in love with Money Penny. I thought that was wild. Maybe it's a deeper cut than you think. And oh, yeah. um this was actually a sort of parody. Um I don't <laughs> I know where it. I'm going with that. No, I, that's wrong. <laughs> it's it's just sexist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just something that you have to like acknowledge, I think, and certainly the movie that we'll talk about next is by no means a sexism masterpiece yeah but um i i do i did think it was really funny because when i told dana that this was the movie that you picked she was like oh no i'm I'm good she had zero interest in watching this movie so i did have to watch it alone (laughs) and she walked in 30 minutes into the movie and was like wait which one of these guys is james bond and i told her and then she goes he's not hot and then walked away and I think that's really funny because George Lazenby was a model with zero acting experience when he was hired for this part. Yeah, so <laughs> that, that is funny. I actually have um, a little bit of fun, fun facts about George Lazenby and like why this is his only outing. Yeah, I didn't know until I, I looked it up after watching it this time because my, my mom and my grandma were both super into James Bond, but they wouldn't talk about George Lazenby. They thought that he was like a, a like a plight on the franchise, um, <laughs> and I didn't know why. Yeah, <laughs> and um, apparently it's because he he quit pretty much because he thought he wasn't being treated like the star he was. He thought he was he compared himself to Clint Eastwood. Oh wow! Um, after you know this is his first James Bond outing and pretty much his first acting. And Daniel Craig and other James Bond actors would go on to say, like, that that was the biggest mistake he ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I it's interesting. I I was reading up on some stuff how contemporary reviews of this film were relatively mixed. And since Mm -hmm. then, people have liked it more and more. And a lot of people say that it's one of the better ones in the franchise. I don't know, Mm -hmm. like, what your thoughts are, how this compares to other ones. I obviously can only compare them to the Craig ones, and it's almost impossible to compare them. Yeah, they're so different. Um, but I, I think I prefer Sean Connery to George Lazenby. Well, I don't necessarily mean like his portrayal of Bond, but just like oh, the just film the movies themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there, I think there are still better ones out there. This one wasn't bad. It goes really off the rails once like Star Wars comes out, and they try like copying that with like lasers and space and stuff like that. <laughs> Um, you should watch Moonraker. That's an insane movie. It's right. pretty much Star Wars. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'll check that one out. Um, just some fun facts. This is also Christopher Nolan's favorite Bond film. Really? And he said that it was the source of inspiration for Inception, which kind of makes sense because the end of Inception, of course, takes place on that like prison in the Alps and oh, there is yeah. some action ski set pieces. I thought the the action ski set pieces, while being really silly, definitely separated this film from mm-hmm. just another older action film. And I actually kind of appreciated that a little more. <laughs> Watching the guy fall off the cliff. Do you, oh, do you remember that part? Like the comically long fall. Yes, it is <laughs> hilariously long. Like you just watch this guy fall for it's got to be five seconds. Do you, do you remember those videos on YouTube that were called like Eagle versus Mountain Goat? where it was a giant gold eagle <laughs> yeah, and like pick it up. 
Yeah, in order to kill the mountain goats, presumably for food, I'd hope not for fun, but they kind of like drag the mountain goats <laughs> off the mountain and then just drop them. And people got footage of this and the mountain goats, they just fall for like four or five seconds until they plop on the crap. But like, it just like starkly reminded me of that. And yeah, I thought this that is that actually was where the hilarious. Eagles got the inspiration. Yeah. Oh, really? They watched yeah. whatever this movie is called. It's too long to remember, but... <laughs> And then they decided to drop the goats off. They were like, we can do that. Yeah. You know, I feel like uh, you should talk to National Geographic about that. <laughs> yeah, I think we got something going here. Yeah, they seem to be green lighting whatever they want. So you should go for it. Um, all right. Any Anything else you want to talk about this film before moving on? No, I, I just think more people should watch the older James Bond movies. They're very fun. Yeah, I would, I would say that like... I'm definitely not going to go on a James Bond, you know, marathon or anything, but I do, I did enjoy this one a lot and I'm definitely interested in watching a few more here or there for sure. And it's fun to see the, like how actors bring different things to the role. And I mean, as long as you acknowledge that there's some serious problems oh, totally. <laughs> with the film totally, in terms yes. of how they treat women, I think, yeah. and, and particularly in some of the other ones with like racial stereotypes and stuff i think that these films are quite entertaining for what they are mm -hmm. all right so we can go ahead and move on to my fake christmas movie of choice this one is shane black's kiss kiss bang bang this film was released on october 17th 2005 um and there's a couple reasons that i chose the film uh the main one is that i think it's really good i thought it was really funny and i wanted to see it again but i also chose kiss kiss bang bang because it's a shane black film and almost every single one of his movies takes place during Christmas for no reason. We already <laughs> talked about Iron Man 3. That's directed by Shane Black. Takes place during Christmas. Came out in the beginning of May. Was the film that followed up Avengers. Who knows why? So I thought we really couldn't have this conversation without talking about a Shane Black film. But I think the other thing that's cool about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is that it's one of the reasons that Robert Downey Jr. was cast as Iron Man. Mm. Um Downey Jr.'s character in this film, Harry, is very similar to Tony Stark. He he kind of does the Downeyism thing. I think it was one of his first bigger roles after returning to acting, following all the string of controversies that he has. So it's very conceivable that we wouldn't have gotten RDJ as Iron Man if it wasn't for this performance and Shane Black giving him a chance in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So I hadn't seen this film for several years until I watched it again yesterday. And I still think the film, it's incredibly funny. It's very clever. The story and mystery at the center are really interesting. And I love the way that the film is told via a narrator who pops in with commentary about how he is a shifty narrator and all that meta stuff is really, really fun. Very unique film. Made me laugh out loud many times. I do have to say at the top of this, before throwing to Ian, um, this film is a very mid-2000s film. And I don't mean that at all in a good way. The The film does not treat its female characters particularly well. And it makes a lot of jokes at the expense of gay people in very not great ways. I think that the film handles some of these aspects a little better than the detective films that it's clearly poking fun at. And I think it's a little different than the way that James Bond does it. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely not anywhere near where you want to be. So it's a bit of a bummer because I can't really enthusiastically recommend this to anyone. And you kind of have to put that caveat that like this, this could be a very cruel film for people that don't want to experience that, you know. But mm -hmm. I mean, 
Ian, this was your first time watching Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. What are your thoughts? Um, it's tough. It's tough to say because I very much saw this as like, oh, like I kept watching it and being like, this is exactly how Downey got the uh the Iron Man job. Um, yeah. It, and it was. It seemed like I was watching like a super long like pitch for him <laughs> as, as the actor um because i i really didn't think that the the story really lent anything to what i thought was really good about the movie which was the comedy um and the relationship between uh downey's character and val kilmer's um mm-hmm. i i thought they were any any time that they were going off of each other um i thought that was the highlight of the movie yeah. Uh, I, I think that Downey is obviously so good at just playing off of somebody that he's on screen with. And un- I also liked the narration, but again, it took away from what I thought was the good part of the movie. <laughs> which, which is was, just the Which like is the them just playing off of each other. Um, and, and I thought that the story was really just like spinning its wheels for so long. Like the, the plot and mystery kind of thing. Like I, I thought it was predictable. <laughs> So I, you I didn't you didn't like the the mystery of how that all the things were connected. I really liked how they told you about the story character or the the novels and how each of them is very predictable and still captivating in each individual instance of the novel, mm-hmm. the the novelization. And then this film followed a very similar thing, and it was sort of like, can you figure it out? How does the sister relate to whatever the yeah. the other guy who's has his daughter you didn't none of that I, I guess for I, you? I think that they were trying to help me out too much mm. because with this kind of movie um i i like to figure things out on my own and i i felt like it kept like he he he's i think downey says uh downey's character harry says early on in the movie like mysteries are like if they're two separate mysteries they're probably going to be like intertwined with each other in a book yeah um, and I was like, okay, so these are going to be intertwined with each other. And then I just like went from there in my head and then I figured stuff out. <laughs> and then so, I was like, so okay. you figured out that she was like a mental patient and not that... exactly like a mental patient kind of thing, but I was, I got it and I wasn't surprised when they said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfectly fair. I mean, yeah, I, I, I really like the mystery. I really like how it has that meta-ness, but I'm also very susceptible to that sort of stuff. Like I really like when they talk about the creation of the film, right? And that mm-hmm. when they do things like, I'm being a terrible narrator because I forgot to mention this. And the other thing that I really like about Shane Black films is that characters just kind of like happen upon things. Like they live in this world where absurd coincidences are a day by day thing. Yeah. And I think that makes for just a really kinetic and fun film. But I I understand if it does, didn't work for you. I, I still thought it was fun. I I'm just being overly critical on it. <laughs> on specifically the story. I thought it, I thought it was still very fun to watch the characters interact, but that's the only thing that I really didn't like the and it really reminded me of the Mandarin twist in Iron Man 3. Oh, here we go. Well, okay, let me be clear. I watched Iron Man 3 very recently, and I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I remember I did. Um, okay. I don't hate the movie. I don't hate uh, Shane Black, but I just think that he's maybe not so good at finishing up a plot. You okay. know what I mean? So, I Wrapping mean, I, I definitely, yeah, yeah. I, I had 
some questions about Iron Man three into this script. So we can we can hop ahead a little bit because like I feel like this is one of the things that we probably disagree the most on in terms mm-hmm. of like the MCU is whether we like Iron Man three or not. I really really enjoy Iron Man three, but yeah. So I guess are you are you saying then that the Mandarin plot twist is predictable? I don't think it's predictable. I when when it got to the Mandarin plot twist the first time, I was like, is that it? Is is that mm-hmm. is this the twist of the movie? And it was the same thing in uh in Kiss Case Bang Bang. I was like, is is that it? I see. Is it over now? And then yeah. I had the gunfight and then it is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I guess I see what you're saying. I mean, I, I just think that like so much criticism of Iron Man three comes down to like, well, it's not the Mandarin in the comics, and that's frustrating to me. And I don't think that that's like the best criticism of that movie. I think that like that movie at least tries to be a Shane Black movie in the MCU mold, which I feel like it's it is one of the most different of the MCU films. And I really like it for that. Like the the characters do things in that movie that don't really ever happen in any of the other MCU films. And so mm-hmm. like I, I get that like maybe it doesn't work for everybody, but I really like that there's a lot of actual choices being made in that film yeah that i think people overwrite or write off because of like they're not a fan of the mandarin thing i i have come around to that i originally didn't like it because i wanted the mandarin that i knew but I, i've come around to not liking that bit because i just think it's anticlimactic well boy do i have a movie called shang chi and the ten rings for you <laughs> yeah exactly maybe that's why i liked it more too because i'm like <laughs> okay we're getting the one i want <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, what I want to do is kind of pivot a little bit back to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and talk about the Christmas of it all. Because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, when you look at this movie at the start, you're like, there's zero reason for this to take place during Christmas, except maybe to have an excuse to put Michelle Monaghan in that costume or whatever, which she spends most of the movie in. But I think the reason that Shane Black likes making his movies take place during Christmas is because it kind of intensifies the chaos of the films. Because Christmas to us means something. It means something very calm and very like quaint. And especially when you have Christmas in LA, when there's no snow, there's no real feeling of winter. Everything kind of feels off. And I think it just sort of makes the story just feel a bit more strange. And it kind of gives us it it kind of gives the film a surreal quality. So things don't really make perfect sense. Things are off mm-hmm. there. It allows for the absurd coincidences. There's times in this movie where characters, they'll stumble upon clues while doing something completely unrelated or a villain will die because a character accidentally drops a gun and it shoots off and hits the villain right in the head. Um, Like that happens in a lot of Shane Black's movies. And so I think that like heightened sense of reality kind of pairs well with the winterless Christmas of this movie. I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? I sort of thought, um, I, I do like the the sort of heightened sense of reality kind of thing, but I don't think that the Christmas side lends itself to that. I thought that was just something that he probably added, or I felt was added to like sort of just being another distraction kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like more, more like, I don't know, any sort of content added to it um in the same way that like we remember the lines for like the christmasy sort of lines from the james bond movie i i I thought that was doing the same thing for kiss kiss bang bang like you see like a sexy virgin mary at one point and there's like 
a stripper dresses or <laughs> reindeer. Yeah, yeah. And it's to like leave those images in your mind so you remember something about the story from. So just to like make it more unique, you mean? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense in the same way that it's like it it makes on her majesty's royal service separated from other just kind of classic yeah it adds another action film layer to the movies i guess i is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah that makes sense i i I just do think that there's something to like the fact that it takes i i I guess i feel like we're sort of saying similar things that like the christmas part of it just makes it go oh well it might as well take place during christmas like yeah yeah crazy shit is happening you know like sure it's sort of like a and this all take place during Christmas, which is just like, it just makes it even more ridiculous, which this movie very much is. It's very ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, even though you weren't 100% sold on the film, is this something that you would still recommend to people? Did you yeah, enjoy it? I think yeah. so. I, I would recommend it to people who enjoy, who, who could watch Downey act, you know, and love it. Mm-hmm. Like I could watch him act for hours. Um, and I, I think this is just more of that for me. Have you seen The Nice Guys? Yes. That's Shane Black also. I, oh. th- I feel like th- those films are very similar. Um, oh, I like you know, that. They have, I mean, they, they have very similar plots even down to like it's about the murder of a girl. I mm-hmm. think The Nice Guys is by nature of being from 2016 is more modern, mm-hmm. um, even though it takes place, I believe, in the 70s. But its treatment of its characters are a lot better, I think, than... The way that this film treats Val Kilmer's character, for example. Yeah. But, um, and I guess for people who haven't seen the film, Val Kilmer plays a gay character, which is obviously not good. But I mean, just on top of that, his they name use, is gay. Yeah, it's Gay Perry, I think. But, you know, they, they just use his character for a lot of jokes that don't really need to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think The Nice Guys does very similar things to this. Like there's a moment in that where like, Ryan Gosling gets away because the woman that's holding a gun to him like slips on a pile of blood and smacks her face. Those those just sort of like coincidental ridiculousness things kind mm-hmm. of are everywhere in Shane Black movies. So with that, we are at the end of our holiday special. Ian, that flew by. I feel like we've been talking for 10 minutes, but we've been talking for over an hour. This I is- know. <laughs> Especially like stuff that we enjoy. It's so easy to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's just is really easy to talk about like, you know, MCU, Star Wars, but then also just Christmas stuff. It's it's fun. It's yeah. a great time of year. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything specific that you'd like to plug here? Uh, No, you can follow me on Twitter at I Anderson. The O is a zero in Anderson. It's a lot of uh, making fun of movie marathoners tweets. So. <laughs> yeah, I feel bullied on a day-to-day basis, but I appreciate that, Ian. Thank you so much. Engagement is engagement. Yeah. No such thing as bad press, unless you're J.K. Rowling. Oh. The- <laughs> Sorry. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash moviemarapod. That's movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie-marathoners. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Overcast, Himalaya, and CastBox. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing, 
and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when Ian comes back to review the blockbuster of the holiday season, Wonder Woman 1984. Ian, are you excited for that? Oh, yeah. You excited that you don't have to go to a theater, Mr. I hate theaters? I don't hate theaters. I just like to sit on my couch at home and have a beer and enjoy a good movie, you know? Well, fortunately for you, Warner Bros. really helped you out for (laughs) the next year coming forward. But regardless, uh, stay tuned for that. I think that's going to be a great discussion, and I I know we're both really excited for that. Until then, remember that life's a marathon, so let's take it one movie at a time. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling-Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.